Sales, more well-established lesbian. Chapter 53 It can be hard to remember that with the end of one thing comes the start of another, or the possibility of another. All you can see is what you're losing. You've held it in your hand. You know the weight of it. It's worse to you. And what's to come? It's as real as the clouds in the sky. Looking up though, and looking forward, is getting a little easier. I gave up my foolish notions of not needing medication, and I took the damn pills. It's been a few weeks now. I do think Simon was more helpful than these pills though. Until that is, I have one of those days. The kind of day that makes you wish you never even opened your eyes, let alone gotten out of bed. The kind of day where KFC closes because they've run out of chicken. I mean, that feels personal, like a personal bad day for me. Especially when Paul calls to tell me he's in the first ever KFC that the Colonel opened, eating his finest chicken. It's one of those pissy little days. Yeah, a trolley with a wonky wheel kind of day. But boy, do I have my arse in my hand. Oh, life is so unfair. Everybody hates me. Nobody likes me. I might as well go and eat worms. <laughs> I chuckled to myself. My mum used to sing that to me when I was being a whiny little brat. Hold on. Chuckling to myself? What's going on here? Where's the continuation of the theme of self-loathing? That will, of course, lead to my inevitable doom. There's no spiral, no whirlpool trying to drag me under. The endless falling is gone. My well has a new false bottom. It's sort of been agreed how low I can go, or how far I can fall, or how fast. Maybe it's a parachute. Whatever it is, I can finally catch my breath. I can rationalise with myself a little bit. A national chicken shortage does not need to be taken personally. It might not have been the sign I was expecting, but it's one I'm going to take. And it had arrived in just the nick of time. I'm so glad to be on a more even keel as I have to face my last day at work. What had started out as one of those do for jobs, you know, do for now, just 25 hours a week delivering people's shopping, had somehow turned into seven years across seven different shops. I think of the hundreds and hundreds of faces that I have welcomed through the doors of this place. And the faces I've seen go, and some come back. It's been like working on a massive cruise ship. So big and so vast, you easily forget about the world outside. And now it's time to disembark. I've got to get my land legs again. Now the well of bad feeling isn't constantly trying to drag me down to the centre of the earth, I feel more optimistic about my ambiguous future. Or at least I'm trying to, anyway. All this talk of opportunity and freedom, there's got to be something in that, all that jealousy I'm hearing out there, right? And I decide it's okay that I don't know what I'm going to do next. The only upside to redundancy is that I don't walk away empty-handed. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not retiring early or putting a deposit down on a house, but I can afford a couple of months to figure it all out. Because I know the answer will just come to me, like all of my best ideas usually when I'm supposed to be doing something else. 
One last round of drinks with my team at work and my supermarket era is over. I won't see most of these people again. Not because they aren't wonderful people, it's just that I'm pretty bad at that. You know, keeping in touch with them. Honestly, I'll answer the phone to most of them in a heartbeat, but me call them first? I don't even know why I am so bad at that. I pack my uniform away to return. I've accumulated quite the collection over the years. I am going to miss that cosy fleece a bit, I'm not going to lie to you. But I am oh so excited about never wearing certain shades of orange ever again. Scarlett's birthday rolls around and uh, we all decide to relive our teens at the local 90s night. And I do feel like a teenager when I wake up on a Monday morning around 11am and sit around in my pyjamas eating cereal watching awful daytime TV. Not even their relentless, heartbreaking donkey rescue adverts can stop me from doing sweet FA for the next few days. Because you see, life gives you one of two things usually, time or money. Rarely do you have enough of both to get to enjoy them. And right now, I do. It's a glorious feeling and I'm going to luxuriate in it for at least a week. I've got time and space to, you know, sort stuff out, to think, to wonder. And you know what? To have some bloody fun. I've still got to work on that being the mate who reaches out, but I am getting the hang of just saying yes when someone says, hey, do you want to go do this thing? I've just got to stop being lazy. Stop talking myself out of doing things. Stop being a bit of a wuss about being out of my comfort zone or not the person in control or not knowing what's going to happen. Let's be honest, no one else is going to live my life for me. It's about time I got on with it. And being an unemployed bum with all the time in the world on her hands, I am perfectly placed for those spontaneous invites. A gig in London on a Tuesday night? Ha, don't mind if I do. Clemmie's got a big work thing going on, to quote Baz, and she can't come out to play. Do I want to tag in? Uh, hell yeah I do. Doesn't occur to me to ask who we're seeing until we're sharing rum and coke on the train. Some up-and-comer called Tom. Apparently he's done good. Tonight's gig is at the O2 Shepherd's Bush Empire, a not insignificant venue. Done good indeed, it would seem. I'm really looking forward to it, but to be honest, I'm already having a great time. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned my man crush on Baz, haven't I? You know, a little bromance with him. And if I haven't, you've probably already worked it out by now. And why, yes, Baz does have a wardrobe I would kill for. And yes... He is very, very cool. But for me, Baz has this sort of special way with folks. It's not as criminal as they actually sound. He sort of makes you feel like you're his best mate from the off. And it's really genuine. Like, no bullshit. He actually treats people as equals. As though everybody is the most interesting person and that they've got something that he can learn. And he's got an opinion on everything too. He'll share it with you. There are no dead-end conversations. And he's fun about it too. I mean, matching him drink for drink, however, probably not the best plan. But that's a future me problem, because right now, this Tom Grennan lad that Baz has brought me to see, he's singing my heart out for me. I can't remember the last time I became a fan. You know, like a proper, actual fan of someone. But here I am in mid-30s, and honestly, right now, I just want to go out into the lobby and buy the album and the T-shirt and the poster and any other shite that he, quite frankly, wants to sell me. And I'd like for him to do the whole gig over again and again and again 
right now. Seriously, you better release that album soon because I haven't fallen in love with songs like this since, I don't know, the stereophonics? Music's not a massive part of my life. It sort of comes and goes. Sometimes I can't live without it. It's on all of the time. And other times, it can be weeks, maybe months, between me actively putting music on. And thanks to Tom, I've suddenly got music on again while I'm in the shower, while I'm getting dressed. And it's handy timing. It's helping me put a bit more pep in my step. And I need it, quite frankly, because, ah, bugger, it's time to move out. But where? Where am I going to move to? Why am I going to move there? What am I doing? I'm quite literally going round the houses about it all with Paul. He jokes, I should just move into his. I joke, you're going to need to get somebody round to decorate it first. He jokes that I could pay for my rent by decorating it myself. I stop joking. That is not a half bad idea. I can see Paul is actually thinking it through for real too. I mean, if you want a computer built or an engine stripped down, Paul is your man. You want to know what wine pairing goes with what red meat? All Paul. Painting and decorating, not a clue. Because quite frankly, he doesn't like it. It's too boring for him. This situation could be win-win. I get to keep my money in my pocket and get a roof over my head. And I'm also going to be able to buy myself some more time to decide if I'm going to go back to my town or onto something or somewhere new. And Paul will get a house that doesn't look like a low-budget Wes Anderson set in one room and like the 80s are still trying to thrive in all of the others. Selfishly, the other thing I'm going to get a chance to do is something practical. All that sitting around in front of computers and pushing bits of paper around has made me miss making stuff, doing stuff. You know, having something I can actually see at the end of the day. The simplicity of redecorating Paul's house has huge appeal. You know, do I really want a job that requires more physical exertion? Do I want to learn a trade? Do I want to do something like this? Or do I just think I do? Redecorating a three-bedroom house, not including the kitchen and bathroom, should be a pretty good test of that. Paul and I start discussing his plans and I'm already wondering if I could eke out a living as a handy butch. Maybe I do retrain. Maybe I do go after that trade. I mean, I do quite fancy carpentry, bit of woodwork, some joinery. That could be pretty cool. Oh, but I'd love to learn to weld too. Metal fabrication looks awesome. Oh my God. And then Paul and I could like build a car. Too much time to think as we've discovered, isn't always helpful for me and my imagination can get the better of me. Unlike Paul, who just wants me to paint his entire house white, like an art gallery. His colour scheme is apparently the absence of colour. I mean, it will work perfectly for his numerous collections that he wants to put out on display. Now, if I can just convince him to put those posters that he wants up in his room in frames, I'm telling you, we are on our way. The timeline of this whole thing is working out perfectly, meaning that I can get mine and Paul's rooms redecorated before I have to move out of the place I'm in. And because of this moving situation is panning out beautifully, of course, something else has gone a bit weird, a bit out of kilter. 
and that thing is Ashley. I mean, honestly, I've got no idea what the two of us are doing. Like, we're still in touch and we're still more than friendly, but we're still not actually together and nobody really has any intentions of being back together again. But, you know, we're still, like, not not hanging out. And now we're both on dating apps as well. Because if Ashley has popped up on mine, you know I've shown up on hers. I say and now, like I've only just put myself back out there. Like I've not been having a quick look-see from time to time on the old dating apps. And I'll be honest, maybe part of the reason I haven't completely cut ties with Ashley is because of how bloody awful online dating is. It hasn't taken me long to miss the simplicity of Gaydar Girls and the lounge chat room. Thank God for Neve, Max and Catfish in general. I mean, people need educating. That whole reverse image search thing that is a great tip for those low-effort catfish. Helps you easily weed them out. But online dating in general, the setup, it's not ideal for the likes of me, who has always, always relied on my personality to attract women. Not one of my stories, you'll notice, has begun with, she saw me across the room and it was love at first sight. Nah, there's none of that, is there, right? There's maybe been a bit of love at first laugh. I mean, that's a little more likely. So I don't really give much of my chances online, but as they say, you've got to be in it to win it. And if I listen to Paul, it's a numbers game. Aye, all right, straight boy. I'll tell you this now, our numbers look a little different. But I do get your general point. So I waste hours of my life curating a selection of photos that might make a woman decide to bother sending me a message which honestly super unlikely but at the very least what i'm looking for her to do is be more likely to respond to my first message obviously i need a photo that shows my best side i'm going to need an activity photo that says i don't just sit on my sofa binge watching true crime on netflix i'm fun i do stuff as well i'm going to need a photo that's got some other people in it make sure i look like i have friends like hey other humans like me. You might like me too. A pet photo is always good, even if you have to borrow it. You know, dog approval or tolerance can go a long way towards helping you get in there. You might want to filter, but not too much. Black and white, always a classy choice. Don't forget, check the background. Or better yet, blur that shit. Just blur all of that mess in the background right away. And there we have it, a carefully curated gallery of me, complete. Now, I've got somewhere between 250 and 400 odd characters in which to add a bit of personality. Toneless personality, but hey, we work with what we've got. God, it's never fun, is it, doing this bit? Like trying to have to write a cover letter for a job. And suddenly I've got no idea why I do want a date, let alone what kind of person I want that date to be with. All right, let's, um, let's see what everybody else is saying on theirs. Maybe I can work out what not to say, at least. The empty bio sends a strong message. You like what you see? Hit me up. It's bold, but it doesn't give folks anything to work with. Especially when they've uploaded nine identical selfies filtered to fuck. And we all hate those messages that simply say, Hi. So, you know, you've got to give people something to build a conversation on. That's what I say. 
I mean, not too much. We do have the other end of the scale, the oversharer. You know, maybe the details of your custody arrangement with the baby daddy could be something you share in maybe, say, the third or fourth message. You know, I'm just putting it out there. It's just a thought. I see the astrology crowd are still hating on us, Geminis. Standard procedure. I'd be more offended if it wasn't all bollocks, you know, total bollocks. Fun bollocks, but still, in my humble opinion of course you know i saw the gemini thing coming but what i wasn't ready for was profile after profile loudly proclaiming no butches sometimes they dress that message up sometimes it's just as blunt as that but over and over again butches need not apply that's the headline i'm picking up no matter how they string their words together like not fancying or not being attracted to butch women is fine. No bother. Trust us. We're not ever surprised that we're not someone's cup of tea. But what is with this need to say it so loudly and um, what feels like sometimes so proudly? What's going on there? Like barring one outright racist and like one or two less than body positive folks, most profiles are avoiding that whole grinder vibe of, you know, no Asian, no fats, no femmes. I mean, I thought we were better than that. Except, it seems, when it comes to butch women. Or women, as I am quoting, who look a bit like men or dudes. Apparently, it's totally okay to plaster that sort of thing all over your dating profile. And here's the bit I don't get. Why do you need to say it? And if you do need to say it, why you got to say it like that? With such disdain. It's no wonder that we have a fabulous publication called Butch is Not a Dirty Word. Because we, butches, and the rest of the world, need reminding of that sometimes. Still, feeling pretty shit now. Does it even matter how witty my bio is if I'm out here looking like some reprehensible butch? I haven't even put my profile up and I already feel like an undesirable. All that stuff I've heard over the years is whispering through my mind again. You'd be so pretty if you just... If like girls are into girls, like why would they be into you? Because you know, you look more like a, a boy, innit? Maybe if you just, you know, made a bit more effort. Like would a dress kill you, would it, really? Why don't you just try and fit in? Surely that'd make life easier. Surely you don't want to feel like this. I mean, what are you going to do? Spend the rest of your life looking like some ugly butch dyke? Fuck, I don't think I've ever heard the word dyke shouted at me without being accompanied by the word ugly. So much for the quick ego stroke of a few likes on a dating site. Once more, I'm bloody glad I'm on these pills and this even keel right now. And I have plenty of time to mull it all over too as I discover that the previous owners of Paul's house liked to decorate. A lot. Regularly, you might say. Unfortunately, directly on top of whatever had gone before. So my job right now is part wallpaper stripping, part archaeological dick. Just layer upon layer of awful taste, no matter the time period. A bit like us butchers, you know, we've long been considered bad taste. 
They think we just need a new coat of paint or a fresh roll of wallpaper and we'll be right. They don't see the many layers it's taken us to get here. And unlike this living room, for us, those layers are important. We've built ourselves up bit by bit to make ourselves feel at home. Those thickly lined walls, they're essential to protect from all the huffing and puffing that goes on outside. You won't bring the house of Butch down that way, from the outside. Only I can bring this house down around me. And if I let the whispers on the wind consume my mind, I probably will bring the whole thing down. But my madness has retreated, or technically is being treated, however you want to look at it. And I feel like maybe I just need to remind myself of a few things. Feels a lot like my teenage self wants to say a few things about my current crisis of butch confidence. It's got some questions. Have I ever done anything just because it was popular? Um, well, no, not really. Unless you count that whole Pogs thing back in school. I never really got what those were all about, but you know, I kind of went along with that one. Every single time that you've tried to change to fit in, how's that worked out for you? You know, all right, yeah, fair point. Not some of my strongest looks or my uh, most fun times. Yeah, see what, you, see what you're saying there. Would you really want to be anyone other than who you actually are? Oh, no, 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 you mention it. No. No. I don't think I do. You're not for everyone, are you? Yeah, <laughs> no. Definitely not. No. And that's okay, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you know what? You're right. It absolutely is. Well reminded me. Very good point. I am not for everyone. And that, that is okay. Yeah, I remember this battle. I remember all of this, accepting it and owning it and remembering I don't need the world to love me. I'm going to find those people who do. And in the end, all I'm really looking for is one good woman to love and be loved by in return. And so my fairy tale's got catfish, not frogs. It's a modern romance. That's just the way this story is going to go. Doesn't mean I'm not still mad about that whole no butches vibe, but you know, I've got my thick skin on again. Got my head screwed on right. Let the rubbish throw itself out with statements like that, right? And it's not really about what you're saying, it's how you're saying it after all. Like, me too, babes. Me too. I am all about the femmes. But if a fellow butch is brave enough to send the first message to shoot her shot, I'm not going to be mad about it. And I'm certainly not going to feel the need to ward them off. Now, maybe there are a few femmes out there screaming at the show right now. You don't understand, I'm just inundated of the butchers. They just won't leave me alone. I can't get a minute's peace. And if that is the case, I am truly sympathetic. You know, you hear that notification ping and the endorphins start rushing before you've even opened the message or the match. And then you realise immediately that this one does not spark joy. I know how much that sucks. I hear you. 
but does it warrant open hostility in your about me section? I mean, you know, maybe not. I'm just saying. Because no answer is all the answer you ever really need on a dating app. And the block function exists for those who can't take a hint. That's all I'm saying here, right? I guess at the end of the day, I just feel like if you've got a time to date, you've got time to be kind. Words I was about to have to heed myself. I don't know if you've heard of it. I don't know if you had the misfortune to sign up. But Plenty of Fish has to be one of my least favourite dating sites ever. And yet, it had what seemed to be a relatively high number of women seeking women. So I persevered with it for a while. Remember, just one, just one good woman for a date, for a hookup. You know, I'm not out here trying to get proposed to again. <laughs> Poff, as I call plenty of fish, is accurately named because there are so many catfish. And thanks to the shallower side of myself, I have quickly realised that you do not need to reverse image search when the whole profile seems good to be true. If it seems it, it probably is. And let's be honest, that Tinder Swindler documentary would be a lot shorter if people remembered that golden rule. I sit and I absentmindedly scroll through profiles as I am legit watching paint dry. Same faces over and over again. I've only been on here a few weeks, but I am almost over it already. And Poff's insistence that I sign up and pay for membership of this shit show is so annoying too. Honestly, if I can figure out where the hell they've hidden the delete account button, I will. I'll delete it. But these buggers have hidden that thing very well. Then they try to tempt me to part with my money by letting me see who is viewing my profile rather than hiding them from me like they're in some sort of witness protection program with their faces all pixelated. Pay up and we'll tell you who fancies you. Or in my case, pay up and see the numerous women who have looked at your profile but chosen not to send you a message. Is the glass half full or half empty? Sign up now to find out. I scroll through the rubberneckers who've driven by my profile. One of them catches my eye. An arty looking woman. Her profile photo looks like an explosion in a paint factory. And I really want to know what she gets up to. But she's cute. She owns a lot of dungarees, it would appear. Same age as me, same country too. I mean, ticking quite a few boxes at this point. I craft by message. You know, casual but interested. I've clearly read her profile, not just looked at her photos. You know, I give it a let's get to know each other vibe. What's the worst that can happen, I say? Listeners, in the world of online dating, the answers to this question are um, myriad, multiple, endless almost. It may not be the attitude with which you yourself will want to approach online dating. It was certainly not an attitude appreciated by the arty looking woman. Those endorphins, you remember them? They have kicked in because her reply has just landed. But they have soon scattered in confusion as I read it. And then I read it again, out loud, just to try and make sense of what it is I'm actually reading. <coughs> Her reply. 
unfortunately well-established lesbian, you got very unlucky with the timing, as we are having a very, all caps, bad day today. So no bullshit will be applied, especially with your what's the worst that can happen attitude. Grimace face emoji. My name is Sean and Anna is not here at the moment. In fact, Anna hasn't been here the whole day and she got upset. And this is what happens when she's upset. There's a few of us here and we're all different. Another grimace face emoji. Yeah, what's the worst that can happen, huh? You could end up talking to a person that is actually many people. Big grinning face emoji. And in brackets, by the way, she won't remember any of this. Thumbs up emoji. I bet you are really there's the all gaps again, regretting sending your message. Laughing face emoji. She has only told three people about us, more brackets, and her therapist, but she doesn't believe we exist and she keeps referring to us in the third person. Face palm emoji. Why am I telling you this? All of the question marks and exclamation marks, laughing face emoji, close bracket. Okay, I'm gonna go. Nice talking to you and never hearing from you again. Laughing face and a thumbs up emoji. Signed, Sean. Now maybe I'm reading into it too much, but uh, I don't think Sean's feeling me at all. But remembering my be kind mantra, I message back, slightly out of politeness and slightly out of curiosity. Turns out I'm right. No, I am not Sean's type at all. I'm totally Anna's type though, but uh, Sean has no intention of letting her come back apparently. So uh, yeah, according to Sean, I should just, you know, do one, as she so eloquently puts it. And that, friends, is enough internet for today. The only other virtual world I am interested in right now is a Star Wars themed one. Virtual reality so good that Paul actually gets to tell me that I'm a bit short for a stormtrooper before we both crap ourselves when Darth Vader appears in front of us for a final showdown. The dark side is hella immersive. I need to tell you that right now. This is all part of Paul and I getting out and about and having plenty of fun. We do beer pong for his birthday, like proper official set up beer pong. And now we're officially housemates. This carefree life, you know, is pretty bloody great. You know, just swanning around, doing as I please. I've reduced my life admin to like the bare minimum, which makes what happens next even more annoying. I've moved into port, I've made myself comfy. The final thing on my list of stuff to do is to get rid of all that charity shop stuff. You know, all the crap that you want to donate. There's one just a mile down the road, Cats Protection Charity. Perfect, lovely. We love the cats. Let them have the money. It's just a five minute Sunday job. And it's next to the local supermarket so I can grab my shopping too. Sorted, it's a plan. I jump in my car, I head to the shops. The car park is nice and quiet and there are spaces right out the front of the shop. I pull into one of the bays badly. My car's like half in one and half in the other. And in front of me, the charity shop is in the dark. Bloody closed. Typical. 
I open again Monday. Fine, I'll just go and do my shopping. As I've parked so terribly, I don't actually feel bad about deciding to drive the 500 yards towards the entrance of the other shop. Clutch down, pop into reverse, check my mirror, and some bloke is pulled up across the back of my car. Oh, he's probably reversing into one of the spaces behind me. So I wait a minute, but he doesn't move. I mean, my reverse lights are on and I uh, throw my arm up in the air to sort of illustrate my impatience, but nothing, he still doesn't move. I set the car out of reverse and have a look at him in my door mirror. He's just sat there behind the steering wheel, not doing anything. I wind my window down, lean out and look back at him as if to say, uh, excuse me, could you just... He holds up one finger to me. The universal sign for one second, one minute, one moment. Wait, in other words. Fine, maybe he stalled it or something. I'm mentally running through my shopping list when he knocks on my car window. Weird. And why is he dressed like a copper? The policeman in the unmarked car invites me to step out of my vehicle. It seems his automatic number plate system has clocked my car as uninsured. So he just needs to check my details. No bother, officer. He's been very good. He's avoided gender until I've given him my details. And to be honest with you, he is being very nice and very polite. I explained to him that I am running on temporary car insurance and that the company that I'm with do warn you that this can happen, you know, updating databases and all that sort of nonsense. So I dig out my policy. I've saved it on my phone for this exact reason. Seriously, it's no bother, I tell him. The policy runs till Tuesday. The PDF opens and my heart sinks into my stomach. The policy does indeed end on a Tuesday. It just happens to be last Tuesday, not the next Tuesday. No matter what all of my notifications and my calendar reminders say, I am uninsured and I don't have a leg to stand on. Worse still, not my first offence. I've already got six points on my licence for doing this exact stupid thing. We add this one to it and I get 12 points. And do you know what 12 points gets you? Because it ain't prizes. 12 points and you get to say goodbye to your licence. Bye-bye licence. Sorry. Bye-bye. Maybe you might even get banned for a year or two. I am fucked. My new friend the policeman is imploring me to help him help me. Mate, I can't even help myself. You've got no hope. Honestly, he's a good one. A nice one. But there is nothing he can do. I know it. He knows it. I'm already taking the car key off my key ring. I know I'm walking home. And in fact, I know I'm probably walking everywhere from now on. He writes me up and calls for the tow truck and I take one last look at my car. There is no way on God's green earth, I am ever going to be able to afford the insurance after this fuck up. And I'm not sure the cost of getting it out of impound is actually going to be worth it. 
all this butch is going to need for the next few years is a good pair of boots, I think. So now, here I am, walking home through the rough-arse estate that Paul has decided to live on in the next town over from where I actually want to be, and I've thrown my car away because I'm useless at life admin. Fuck. Better start avoiding those dating profiles where they say they want someone who has their shit together too. Because that is not me right now. Paul knows it's bad when I get home because I um, don't actually talk to him for two days. I do not offer an explanation for why the parking bay outside his house has been empty since Sunday. I sulk for those 48 hours, brooding on what to do how to handle it. I've run the numbers over and over again and it is not looking economically viable to try and get the car back. The insurance alone to drive it home is crippling. This is the end of the line. This is proper fucked. And on top of that, I'm now waiting for a letter to drop through the door taking me to court or just flat out taking my licence off me. I've got no one blame but myself. What do you know, sitting around feeling sorry for myself isn't helping. It is what it is. I'm going to have to take this one on the chin and just deal with it. Don't they say walking is good for your mental health? I'm going to have plenty of time to find out. Meanwhile Paul says he's happy to give me a lift whenever I need one if he can. And it is, it's lovely of him but oh my god his car you need earplugs just to ride in it and that's before he's even turned on his ridiculous sound system that makes the windows vibrate in the door panels i can tell he feels sorry for me when he keeps the volume down as we ride over to ikea paul reckons a mooch around ikea is what i need to cheer me up i'm not sure about that but i am intrigued as to how our friendship will fare under the stress and pressure of an ikea trip you know, relationships seem to strain at the seams in the market hall. How do newly reconciled BFFs get on, I wonder? Bloody brilliantly, it happens. I mean, figuring out how to do the grown-up version of Paul's ideas so that he still loves them, but also so that women don't think they've walked into a real-life version of Tom Hanks's big, is going really well. I am thankful he doesn't have the budget to entirely recreate the Barney Stinson bachelor pad because... The boy would do it. Paul has picked a gorgeous kitchen. It is very him. And now he's the one explaining how a grown-up kitchen needs to work. How the radiator means that he can't get the triangle that you really want. So this particular layout is the optimum layout. I just nod a lot. He's picked shiny black doors and some lovely chrome and silver bits. I'm on board. Optimum triangles or not. He goes off to look at Hobbs and talk technical stuff with some fella. And I wander around the kitchen section aimlessly looking at all the cool storage solutions. The sales assistant totally snuck up on me and I jump out of my skiff when I turn around and walk straight into her. I'm very glad I didn't scream. She did a little bit. I'm not holding it against her, but it was quite funny. Lots of nervous laughing between the two of us. There's a bit of eye contact as we both reach out to steady ourselves and each other. Cute. A little bit of flirting. And we both go on with our day. Paul finds me and bores me with hob-related information for the next ten minutes. 
We now need to head to self-serve to grab all of the stuff that he selected. And on our way, I bump straight into the same sales assistant over in the frame section. She acknowledges me, a little smile and a wave. And I say something cheesy as hell like, we have to stop meeting like this. He gets a laugh from her anyway. Paul's got opinions, I can tell. He badges me all the way to the till to do something. Like what, I say? She's at work, mate. It's hardly the time to be going asking her for her number. And besides, she's just being nice. She's literally paid to be nice to people. Pa, he says. She was nice to me. You, she flirted with. Paul is insistent. It had felt a bit flirty. But still, I don't want to be that creepy dude that, you know, hits on women at work. But does it have to be creepy, though, I wonder? You know, like, can I do it in a way that doesn't feel, like, you know, threatening and is just flattering, is just nice? And I've got it. I'll leave Paul at the till and grab one of them little Arkea pencils and I scribble on the back of a form. I'd love to bump into you on purpose. Let me know if you fancy a coffee or a drink sometime. I'll leave my name and my phone number too. Now all I've got to do is pluck up the nerve to give it to her. I figured this is the smart move. I could just give it to her and go. She then has all the space and safety to reject me without any hassle. And if she never texts, well, you know, that will be a shame because, you know, I do like IKEA and I'll never be able to shop here again and the nearest one's like 60 miles away. So it will be awful and terrible, but, you know, it's fine. She's still in the frame section. Um, I continue with the cheesy lines. Uh, excuse me, I think you dropped this, I'll say, as I hand her the note. And then I flee. Literally flee the scene. Paul is so proud of me as we load the car up. It doesn't matter, I tell him. She is cute, but straight. That is my guess, anyway. Paul disagrees. We place our bet. Loser has to buy dinner. She texts me in time for our evening meal. She's flattered. She thinks I'm cute, but she's got a boyfriend. Paul argues that this means that she is bisexual, and therefore I have lost. I'll be honest, I like his thinking. It makes me a happier loser. Dinner's on me. Hello, people. I hope you are good, or at least get in there. I know I mentioned butch is not a dirty word in this week's chapter, and you should totally go and check them out. You can definitely find them and more information about them on their Instagram. And while you're there, why not go and show some love to all of the wonderful butch creators who are out there giving us positive representation. Of course, you can catch me on Instagram too, as well as Facebook and over on Reddit, where we've got a listener community in the subreddit r slash T-O-A-W-E-L. Please, please, please don't forget to rate or review the show. And if you're feeling kind and want to support the show and help me keep it ad-free, please donate or subscribe now over at ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, forward slash well-established lesbian. Thanks, as always, for the privilege of your time. Whatever you get up to, Take care of you.